We're here at Wununa, the famous in Illawarra circles, that's for sure, soccer circles, the famous Balls Paddock, home of the Bulleye Football Club. Now, why am I here? Well, the interview today is about Roy and Edith Hancocks, Mr. and Mrs. Bulleye. I look from the outside into Balls Paddock at the moment on this sunny day and it's resplendent in terms of its soccer beauty and what's been achieved here by not just the Bulleye Club but in other in other eras by other clubs for grand finals and other games, representative games. And when I look down at this southern end from the outside here, I look at the Roy Hancock stand. And uh, Roy, during our interview with himself and Edith, did say that it was one of his big achievements and you can see why. It's an amazing stand, it's an amazing facility um, in terms of what it brings to the community uh, with the preschool and soccer or football. So uh, yeah, when Roy does speak of being proud of that achievement, you can understand from a humble man and a fantastic wife, it is a great interview. A bit too much talking from me, but nonetheless, uh, Bulleye Soccer Club, or Bulleye Football Club as it's known in the last several years, has has a great a great man involved and a great woman involved, amongst many others. So uh, enjoy the interview. Welcome everybody to the Football United vs Soccer City podcast. I'm here in Winuna and I'm here with uh, Edith and, and Roy Hancocks. So uh, thank you very much for having me in your home. It's greatly appreciated. And um, people that uh, are new to football in the Illawarra, um, uh, this is Mr and Mrs Bulleye. Is, is that correct? Correct, yes. We've been known as that, yes. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, as uh, we spoke over the phone, Roy, um, this is just, uh, I guess, a chat where we can um, talk about anything and everything about Bulleye, um, but we might as well, I guess, start from the beginning, um, you know, your involvement um, in soccer in, in the Illawarra and how that came about. Well, that's rather a long story, really. Um, I have never kicked a football in my life, and that's true. I used to watch it a little... I had a brother in England I used to watch football. And then we came to Australia in 1962. And I was fortunate enough to buy a house two doors away from a great Australian soccer player called Charlie Stewart. At that particular time, Charlie was coaching Bulleye. He'd finished his career and he was coaching Bulleye. And um, I used to run around the block just to keep fit, not thinking of soccer at all, although I had a younger brother who was actually playing for Thoreau at that stage. He was only 16, 17. So Charlie stopped me one day and he said, why are you running around the block, Roy? And I said, oh, just to keep fit, Charlie. He said, look, Roy, why don't you come up and train with the boys? I said, Charlie, I can't play football. I'm hopeless. He said, I know, he said. 
but your young Paul can. He said, and he's a good player. He said, both of you come up. And that's how I joined Bolloy Football Club. And I really only started off as um, reserve grade manager called Orange Peeler. Yep. <laughs> so that's that's how I got involved with Bolloy. And, um, and I still never kicked a ball in anger. But Paul, my brother, most people from some time ago would realised was a good player and played for the district soccer, um, representative side two or three times. Yeah, and no, I've definitely name Hancocks, the Hammersleys, you know, yeah. they're, they're synonymous uh, with good footballing teams in the district. And and so in that, um, when you first joined the club, where where was Bulleye playing at that time? We were at Slucky Flat those days, yes. Um, <laughs> which was probably about the roughest ground in the district. Um, next to ah uh, EPT's ground. Yep. EPT's that was that was definitely the worst. <laughs> <laughs> they had a ground there that ran up ran uphill, was very narrow, and a dressing shed you could only get six people in at the most. I think that dressing shed is still there actually. Yeah, and there's there's still some bad ones out there. Yeah. Yes. So when you joined, you said you joined reserve grade and your brother started playing as well. Um, uh, one of the, as a, a keen uh, um, amateur historian like yourself in the game, I just wondered, um, it was uh, predominantly uh, gold and, and with, with a bit of green strip, wasn't it, initially, when you joined? When I joined, it was green and gold, and that was the, they were the colours, actually, of Bulleye Workers Club. Okay. who were at that stage the sponsors actually looking into it deeper the club was part of Bulleye Workers Club the uh, executive of the Workers Club basically ran the club um, financially and kept the money um, the club had no money of its own if they wanted anything they'd go to the, workers, go to the workers Club yes so because um, just uh, not to uh, show off anything, but just for everyone else's uh, um, interest, there, uh, I think uh, in I think it was '59 that um, Bulleye um, merged with Bulleye Surf, um, and and then under the auspices of uh, Bulleye Workers, as you've just pointed out, um, I think it was the '59 season, joined together to to form Bulleye Workers. So. Um, you were saying before, um, as, a, as a keen interest in uh, local soccer history as well, that um, midway through the 50s, before we jump ahead, um, there was a chance for, for Bulleye to join the likes of Coromel and Winuna and Baugiani in, in the Federation? Yes, this is only something I read up in actual fact. I found going through various books that, that Bulleye were invited, Bulleye and I believe through at one stage were invited to join the Federation. Um, I'm not particularly sure at what level, I would say at a much lower level than possibly Balgani and Coromel were playing at, but we were invited. Um, And so we resigned from the local league, which didn't make people very happy, um, and were preparing to join the Sydney Federation. And then we got a letter from their president saying that, no, I'm very sorry, it's all off, we're not running you, we're not running you. 
of course, caused a lot of problems with us. We then had to apply back to the local local um, organisation, who who were not very happy. But eventually, they accepted us back in again. So um, it started in '64, and and um, you know, I'm sure later on we'll get into uh, grand finals and and even this year um, and, and what it means to to Bulleye, um, and we'll talk of. Uh, uh, the hoodoo and now that that's over but in that from 64 even to I think maybe you know the early 70s there was you know several grand finals that the bull I played in so when was your first grand final I think there was would, a three or four be, in yeah, a row they played in it would be about 66 yep 66 67 68 69 70 were the were known as the glory years for bull we had Charlie Stewart unfortunately had a problem at work um, when when Old Bulleye Mine blew up and so Charlie resigned and their next coach was another Australian player, a fellow called Billy Williams. And Billy Williams took us over. We were slowly bringing in good class players. Um, Graham Baker um, as a striker was out of this world. Um, another fellow called Barney Harris, an inside forward. Um, my brother Paul, and also my other brother Tony, who'd also come out from England. Um, John Weigel. A lot of these lads were good, and then eventually we we acquired um, Adrian Ringlands. Um, a lot of good players. The top side at that stage was EPT. They were once again almost unbeatable. And they had some good players too, mainly imported from Italy because they were working on the EPT um, lines, the um, power, power lines. Power transmission yes. lines. But they had a couple of good players, a fellow called Tommy Kay, um, who a lot of you would know. Um, he was a class player. And we played them, I know, in one grand final, which we lost. But Tommy Kay stood up and said he had never played in a grand final or in a, in a game where he's seen so little of the ball and won. And the following year, I think it's in 1968, we won it. We beat them EPT. And 69 was the best year we'd ever had until possibly this year. We won absolutely everything in both grades. And so uh, with um, that golden period, um, were you still... Uh Reserve grade manager, chief orange peeler, or did you uh, move up the ranks a little bit? Well, as far as actual football and positions in football, um, say managers and, and things like this, I was reserve grade manager, but I could see within the club itself that it was going nowhere. Um, they had no money of their own, and they used to have to go to the club to, um, if they wanted anything, you know. So I started to think that we should change the structure of the club. <laughs> um, and to cut it really short, I became treasurer. I opened an account at Winona uh, with the Commonwealth Bank, and in actual fact, 53 years later, I still have a signature on Bulleye Football Club's account, even though I'm not on the board. <laughs> so, is that when is it? Are we talking 
69, 70, that you then ended your relationship with Bulleye Workers and became Bulleye by itself again? Yes, well, Bulleye Workers were having a pretty poor time financially at that stage. Um, and so a year or so over, Billy Williams, who, who had played for Coromel and State, um, and was also well in, well represented at the old Winuna Bulleye Sports and Social Club, which was just up the road. And he suggested that we change our sponsors and move there, which we did. And this was in about 71, I would think, roughly. So we moved to, to the Winuna Bulleye Sports Club, uh, thinking that perhaps financially we should be you know, much better off. <laughs> In actual fact, we weren't. They they didn't give us very much. They, gave, they helped us. But the great thing about it was we did at times get access to the original Balls Paddock. Yep. Um, and to cut a long story short, that was probably the best thing that happened to Bulloy those days. So um, that change in, in the, the club structure, did that mean that you then... When was the move from, you know, the green and gold, which most people wouldn't really know about unless they're of a certain vintage or keen on history like myself? And when did you go to the iconic uh, bull-eyed blue? I think that was about... Bull-eyed juniors then were playing in blue and white and it was suggested at one of our board meetings that why are we playing in green and gold now when our juniors... Although we were two separate clubs, our juniors are playing in blue and white. Blue being a favourite colour of mine, it was no problem to me, <laughs> so I think the board wholeheartedly said, yes, we'll go to blue and white. And that was about 72, I think. Okay. So uh, you're then playing at the old balls paddock. Ah, uh, not necessarily. Now and again we would get a chance to play there. But then still Slacky Flat. We went to Slacky Flat. Yes, back, we're still back at Slacky Flat. It was later when the club, when the Winuna Bulloy uh, Sports and Social Club also were having hard times financially and was folding, that we then got more access to the original Boar's Paddock because they held, they held the, the licence from Toos Brewery so we, they, they said, well, you can play there and you can play night games there. Um, and one of the first big things we ever did, we started off running our fairly famous, if I say so, five, uh, seven-a-side football, night football. And we used to run that in February. Um, and that was a great success. The first year we started that off, I think we had about 15 sides and eventually that crept to 63 sides, and they were coming from everywhere to play in this competition. Before you became a very prudent and, 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 and strong club in, in that sense, there was a lot of hard work building it up. You know, Talk about some of the other fundraisers that you did in terms of going to dog shows, for example. Well, I do remember that my wife Edith and I used to run... The, the, the canteen for night games for other clubs would would like to use Balls Paddock because it had grounds one long United were one club that used to um, 
and we also ran a couple of grand finals. I do remember one year we ordered 37 dozen pies. Meat pies. <laughs> that, that these days is an unthinkable figure. Okay, we didn't sell them all. We sold about 30 dozen. Um, but that's an unthinkable number of pies these days. I, I know even our own club is lucky to sell a dozen pies. I know that sounds very a small detail, but but nevertheless, it just goes to show some of the work we used to do there. And it was a, a crappy old canteen we used to have to work from as well. <laughs> it was um, a shed. Yeah. So, oh yes, I was written <laughs> another <laughs> another small thing. And this happened a little bit before that, when we were still at the workers, because we tried to raise money for the club, and this is quite a popular way to raise money. Was the old you used to have to with the car auction? They would buy a car, right, and sell a hundred tickets, probably at about twenty pound at that stage a time. So. They yes, sold. Yes, I'll get that. They, they sold the tickets, and the money was always paid over the bar, because the Bullock Club at that stage, the Bullock Club at that stage didn't have a treasurer. Anyway, it came to the draw for the car to pull the number out um, on that night, and they found that they didn't have the money. They didn't have enough money to buy the new car. Somewhere, somewhere, it had gone missing. Nobody can point a finger, but somewhere the money went missing. So eventually somebody said, well, I've got an old car. I'll trade it in. And um, they traded it in and we got the car, but we made no money out of that at all. Um, <laughs> so that's all I'm saying. This is one of the things that that moved me to becoming treasurer of... Football club. Yeah. I could see there's so much instability and money was going anywhere and everywhere and I must say I spent 35 years as treasurer of Bulleye on and off I also filled in other positions but treasury was my and quite honestly I knew nothing about money till then I learned as I went on so um, like I said there's a lot of volunteer work by many people that have got you to the position in today and and people and it's good to talk about those earlier days where you know um you weren't in the new balls party playing at slackety fat you were sort of connected to bullye workers through whatever reason and then got got out of there but there people have got to remember as well that you your likes of ept and yourself in those late 60s early 70s it was in a sense there was a local competition, but we still had state league teams in terms of South Coast United, who then went to Safeway, and then you still had Bowgowney. And so when you talk about the top teams in the local league getting the strong players, you were competing against a higher level to get those players. So that's a hard feat in itself, isn't it? Oh, it is, yes. Um, and we've always, we'd always been fortunate in having people on the footballing side who knew other people, who knew other players. And and because we'd made a bit of a name for ourselves, um, people wanted to play for Borough. They wanted to play on Balls Paddock because at that stage, Balls Paddock was the possibly ground. the ground uh, in the area. And this does attract people. 
we we have always had that ability to attract people we have if you want to talk about money we have never been big pious even now we get clubs in our area who say that we're a rich club yeah we'll we'll go we'll go back to the we'll go back to that, the economics okay. of that because that, that that is a good point that I do want to talk to you about so in the um in the 70s there was also um uh, there was a couple of um cups state cups and so there was an amateur cup that you guys uh, uh you guys being bulleye uh won uh, how many times we we entered the um the New South Wales Amateur Cup three times. We won it the first twice fairly easily because, well, yeah, we won it anyway the first twice. Um, the third time we got to the grand final, <laughs> and you hear this so many times in football, we, we got robbed. <laughs> <laughs> they, just, uh, they just did not want us to win it a third time. Uh, and I can remember that game. The ground was shocking. Um, the referee was shocking, <laughs> and I think we lost by a penalty. I'm not sure. So, because there was two other cups going on, then there was a, 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 a separate state cup where whereby um, the federation clubs would play against, sort of like the FFA Cup. But this was another a version of it, just with amateur clubs, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes. It was. It was an the amateur cup. Yep. Uh, very similar to the Amateur Cup they used to run in the UK. Yeah. This is the line that they, they tried to run it on. and um, So it's still a pretty big feat that oh, you're playing against amateur clubs yes. that were strong. And yes. uh, people, I think, tend to forget that, you know, I know Belambi had their run of 71 or 72 where they beat, beat some uh, federation clubs. But, you know, um, that amateur amateur cup competition was was a, a hard competition in itself to, to win and to win it twice in a row and make a, a final as well. That's a, yes. a big achievement, isn't it? It is, yes. Oh, yes, it was quite a big thing. We were quite proud of that, I think, in those days. And do you think those things then accumulate? That, Like you said, you're playing at a, at a great ground, the, the wind stadium of its time, and, and people now, whether it be on the internet or if you, we talk to people of our, our age group, you know, people... I never saw people play there. I was only, I'm a lot younger, but you hear people talk so highly of either being spectators or if it's Alan Mangles being the ball boy, you know. Um, you know, you talk, people always used to go and watch, whether, like you said, people rented, other clubs rented out the ground, people loved the old balls paddock. They did, they did. What was I, the atmosphere like there? Oh, it was, it was really tremendous. And the great thing about it, and I say that's unlike the present time. Um, clubs used to clubs, all the local district clubs. You could see, you could meet people there from other clubs. Everybody would go there. As as South Coast United used to draw in their crowds of three and a half thousand regularly, and and people would from district clubs. You see, say Robbie Banks and and Bulleye people and Blamby people and. And people for would go and watch these games. That doesn't happen now. Why don't people go and watch the Wolves? Yeah, and I, th I could go deeply into that, but perhaps it's better I don't. <laughs> so, uh, if we get to the end of uh, the seventies, um, um, but there was some some new players on the block in the likes of Ferry Meadow and 
and um, and Wollongong United. So was there some good tussles there in the, the latter part of the 70s? I think Ferry and Motor were a very good side. They also played in the Federation, didn't they? And then they came... I'm not sure which way it was. They came back to us or whether they... I think they then there. went again in the 80s. Yes, and yeah. And they had some great players, but... Uh, and I'm not sure whether what their attraction was um, to these players, whether it was money or, or what, but uh, they did. They accumulated a great side, very matter, and some, some good players. Well, I don't think we ever reached their standard at that, at that time of, of yep. running. Yeah. Did you notice yourself that with the drop-off of the Federation there, in terms of the Illawarra, that the local league got stronger coming into the 80s there? Well, I don't. I'd have to be quite honest. I don't think that it's something I I, I was say really aware of. Um, at that stage, I was only aware of my own club. Yep. Um, an actual fact, just before that, I'd spent um, six years on the IDFA board, yep. and I was I'd been putting an awful lot of time in in there as well as my own club. Um, we weren't having too good a time at that stage. We we started to drop away, drop away in numbers on the board and, and people to run the club. Um, we also, no names mentioned, we'd also picked a couple of coaches that were perhaps didn't come up to expectations. Yep. And, and I think this was a major thing. So I left the IDF, IDFA board to come back to the club and... and um, and put a lot more time in there, so I didn't. I can't really say that I noticed this yep. increase in in um, your focus quality play, shall we say? Sort of had two concurrent roles: one on the exactly. IDFA and then yeah. one at Bulleye. Yes. So, um, you know, you look through the old uh, ISA handbooks and where it has, you know, the the past winners, and then you see. Um, we can talk a bit about first grade, but. Um, I like to talk about all grades, but it seemed there that, um, especially in the 80s and, and 90s, um, you know, you think reserve grade in the Premier League competition, you think bullye, it was just, you look at that record book and you'd think someone had copied and pasted incorrectly several times in a row because you guys were dominant. And can you talk to a bit about that? Was that a conscious decision on the club to make sure, and I've had a couple of blokes whether they've played a ball or not and said that, you know, you come out of youth grade or even when in you're in youth grade, there was always a good mix of fringe first graders, some strong reserve graders and then young blokes. It was a good mix and a good learning tool. And and it made the youth graders improve. You had a strong reserve grade, which was always then good for your first grade. Was that a conscious decision by the club in the in the eighties? I don't think it was a conscious decision, no. It was it was just something we happened. We were extremely fortunate in having a lot of local Bulleye Winuna boys who came to the club and stuck with the club. Um, and that period of about eight or nine years, they they just melded together and, and, and kept this reserve grade side. Was, as you say, a, I'd say it's a record that probably never be d- done again. Um, I'm not sure how many... Competitions we won. I've got a list somewhere, but yeah, um, I think I put something up recently. It was, yeah. it was it was compared over. I think from seventy seven to now, it was something like 
14 or 15 yeah. league championships and then probably a few, a couple less grand finals, but everyone else was sort of in that sort of one to five range and, and Bulleye in that competition was yes in the teens. Yes, and I think I think we had a, um, a couple of good reserve grade coaches at that stage yep. um, that, that were encouraging this, you know. Um, my brother Tony was a coach at one stage, well, and um, and the other brother Paul helped. Although they both finished playing soccer, they came back. And this is one of the great things about the Bulloy Club. First and foremost, we have been a family club right the way through, uh, and even now we've got grand great grandkids coming to, to the club, you know, um, because their great grandfathers played for us. Um, you can't beat that. Um, Yes, and I think that's really held us together an awful lot. We all know each other, you know. I know I'm jumping around a bit, and um, when we first started uh, talking over Facebook, and, and you've spoken a bit about Slacky Flat and how such a poor ground it was, mm. and then, you know, slowly but surely you, you got um, games at the old Balls Paddock. Do you want to talk about... Um, you know whether you do or not the transition and, and the hard work as a committee that and probably the dealing with bureaucrats as well of of getting the new new balls paddock together because I think now I, I think if people are proud um, and like and love the memories of the old balls paddock um, even as a as a well we're not rivals but another club an opposition club like me I used to love playing. Um, at Balls Paddock, the, the new Balls Paddock, and I, I think I won a grand final there in reserve grade, and and even just to uh, have a shower there where you can look out the window and, and watch when you're having a shower after the game is is pretty cool. But just the atmosphere in there, do you want to talk a bit about um, some of the people involved and, and the real effort that, because it is a, a phenomenal facility, um, and, and congratulations to yourself and past and present committee members that were involved, but can you talk a bit about that process of um, yes. how it came to being, the, the old balls paddock, <coughs> where you went to in between, and then the new balls paddock? Yes, well, we were playing at, at the old balls paddock those days, and um, one day the present Lord Mayor, who lived around the corner from me, called at me, and I knew him quite well, um, Ernie Ford. Yep. And he came round to me and he said, Roy, he said, it looks like you're going to lose Ball's Paddock. He said, there's been a developer. Um, oh, by the way, Ball's Paddock was owned by Toos Brewery because they used to use it for drainage from the old pub. Yep. That, was the, that was the prime use for it. <clears throat> and he said to me, looks like you're going to lose that, Roy. Um, he said, Toos has sold it to a developer and they're going to build a shopping centre there. Um, he said, I'll keep you informed. He said, but really and truly, he said, if you want, he said, you can fight it. He said, get a petition up. He said, get as many names as you can and bring that into me. Um, he said, because that is zoned green. He said, Boar's Paddock is zoned green and they cannot build a thing on there without changing the, um, the structure, I suppose. Yep. So we did. We went out and we got names from everybody and their dog. Um, and But before we had completed this, I got a call from the developer. Um, 
I think I was present and I'm not sure, but I got a call from the developer and he said, can I talk to you? And he, we had a meeting with him and he said, look, <clears throat> he said, this is a big thing for us. He said, we, we really need this. Um, we'll find you another ground somewhere. We'll build you another ground somewhere. Exactly the same as you've got there, we'll build another ground. We'll measure it up and do this for you. I took this back to my committee and the committee said, well, as long as I'll do that. And I took it to the mayor and the mayor said, we'll make sure they do that, Roy. So we changed their opinion and gave them permission to change the zoning. At this particular stage, we had a, a fairly strong um, committee and followings and some really good people, fellows like Tom Lewis, um, and who, who, who has been tremendous in the Boar's Paddock development. Um, we had a, a fellow called Dennis Hill lives in Queensland now. Was what Sandy Christie was the secretary those days. John and yeah, and John Morris, yes. yes. Really good people who were following us, even at Boar's Paddock, uh, at Slacky Flat. Okay, so the developer then took over, uh, and they moved in pretty quick, um, and they they scooped out the bowl for the present Bulls Paddock. And that's what it really is. If you come there and look at it, it is a bowl. And that bowl is meant to take flood water off the mountain. And it was initially meant to take flood water off the mountain so it wouldn't flood the proposed shopping centre. Although we didn't realise that at the time. <laughs> <laughs> but they scooped it out, they put the drainage in, and they put the put most things in and then they went broke and the land for the development was sold to various companies over the next few years in the meantime so we're, we're talking early 80s here yes yep in the meantime as a club we were extremely frustrated because we'd had to go back to Slucky Flat yep we had a meeting one day with Tom Lewis who I previously said was a, a great pusher in this he took over, went to see the council, and really started to stir up things. Um, the, the land was then, by then, owned by Coles Meyer in Melbourne. And um, so council eventually went down to Melbourne, and they came back one day and they said to us, we understand that we are responsible for this. We made a, the, the previous companies made promises. We will carry that out. But how would you like us to do it? We will. Um, we're prepared to give you a hundred and fifty thousand dollars and walk away. That no obligation. Well, we nearly fell over. That was that was a sum that those days that um, yeah, a large sum of money. Yeah, that you couldn't dream of. <laughs> so we immediately told Cancer, "Yes, we'll do it." And Cancer said, "Oh well, we'll build it." We said, "No, no, we don't want Cancer to build it. We'll build it ourselves." And Cancer said, oh, "Well, okay, we'll just uh, just keep our eye on it." And that's what we did. Um, so Coles Meyer relinquished that I current site. I still have a photograph of that check, by the way, somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes uh, uh, the bureaucrats do get it right and do liaise with community organisations. It is possible, isn't it? It is. It's very possible. Council drew the plans up by an architect I won't mention because we didn't agree with him and we had several fights over that. Yep. Um, but eventually we got our way um, 
and we built it how we wanted it and not how he thought it should be built. And so was that um, obviously the 150,000 and then a lot of hundreds of yeah. hundreds of hours from volunteers hundreds as well? Hundreds of hours, and, yes. and so what sort of period are we talking here? I think it was months. 88 when it reopened, wasn't it? A 12-month period. We built it in 12 months' time. Wow. Yeah, tremendous. Um, we, Tom got, Tom Lewis, um, who was in the know and he knew a lot of contractors, he got contractors for prices um, and concreters and, and, and we we as a, as a club used to go up there Saturdays, we'd be doing scaffolding, we'd be digging trenches, all for the contractors to keep the price down. In actual fact, the basics of the building cost us 125000 which left us about 25 grand spare, um, which was not a bad start. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, do you think, um, even though, like you said, everyone's busy doing a lot of work here, but did you, did you notice that when it reopened, and it would have been a proud moment for everyone involved with the club, did you notice, in, you know, maybe at the end of 87, thinking, well, we can be back here at in 88 or even when you did start playing there that the morale of the club was a bit better that you were sort of back to where you wanted to be? I think so, yes. And once again, in that building period and in that pre-building period and the building period and just after, we had a group of about a dozen people, wives as well included, you know, and the social side of the club was out of this world. It was really good. We would go places, we'd go away on trips, all and and any time and this is the t- also a time when we were doing the um, the dog shows. We would we would raising money there, raising money from dog shows and doing canteens, and it was a tremendous atmosphere those days. Um, yes, I don't think you'd ever get that again. Does that link into when you were redeveloping? Because, like you said, very innovative to um, you know contemplate and work with council and, and fight for what you wanted, which was not to be a slacky fight, even though, you know, it's a means to an end. It, it did, did help and was a home there for a few years. But in that develop, redevelopment stage, is that when the idea for the preschool or a, a separate income stream come into the committee's thinking? Okay. I can go back a long, long time before that, actually, yep. for, for, for my thinking. There was a fellow called Jock Hamilton who was the president and, and a great player for Bulloy back in the 60s, right? He was the president, um, or we made him president about 67. The great bloke. And the Hamiltons have been in Bulloy football for years and years and years and are still there. Um, and he told me one day that, that at one stage, and this might have been about the stage where we tried to get into the Federation, yeah that they wanted to build a club room at the back of Slacky Flat. And they must have had a bit of money to do that, but that was a, 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 a thing that was going around. Um, and it just put an idea in my head, why doesn't this club have a proper means of income? Anyway, this got rejected by the, by the, the club at that stage. But it, it sowed a seed in my mind. And then at later times... When Graham Baker joined the club, and Graham Baker was a striker, um, but a good clubman and has been president of the club as well, <coughs> and is still around, still comes to the games, good bloke. Um, his sons have played for us, 
and we're helping his grandsons apply for us. Um, and he said to me, Roy, he said, we should be running a business. So once again, that, 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 that seed was invigorated. The club was built and we had a meeting upstairs one day in the, in the top, on the top layer, which was bare. There was nothing in there. Yep. It was just, it was and we said, yeah, <laughs> we said, what are we going to do with this room? We're only going to play 12 games a year here. This is going to be completely wasted. And somebody on the committee, um, Tom. I think Tom. Tom Lewis's daughter, I think, or something like that, has said, I know somebody that wants to run a preschool. So we we thought, oh, that sounds good. We can rent it out. And we did. We To cut a long story short, we eventually got a, a lady called Anne Sugden. Okay. <clears throat> and, uh, and she hired the place. Um, on the condition that after five years she would come back to us if she wanted to sell it. Okay. Five years turned up and she did want to sell it. And we bought it for $90,000. Wow. We didn't have $90,000. So, so without, uh, you know, people can be particular about finances, but so how does a club come up with you know, we talked about 150000 in the early 80s being a lot of money, so 90000 even in, say, the 90s there is still a large sum of money. It was. The thinking caps... We had a we had a president at that stage who was a, a chartered accountant, yep. a fellow called Michael Grew. Yep. Lovely man. And uh, I was the treasurer. We had in the bank at that stage about twenty five to $30,000 after we'd done all the, you know, still the building and what. And um, he said, I'm going to talk to her, Roy. It wasn't me. He said, I'm going to talk to her, Roy. He said, and we'll give her as much as we can afford to give her yep. and see if she'll take the rest of it on, on terms over three years. Because he worked out that over three years, if we took it over, we could pay that money back yeah, to her. Money back. And that's how it went. And she agreed. And the great thing about it, she is a lovely woman, she said, and can I still manage the place? Which for us was ideal. One of the big problems we thought of once we'd bought it was we knew we had a good manager because she'd been running it before. One of the big problems we thought was people are going to say, what's a football club doing running a preschool? What do they know about running a preschool? Will we lose people once they know it's owned by a football club? So the policy was right from that word go that we would only employ the best staff, yep. right? We would employ more staff than needed because a lot of preschools at that stage didn't. They, they scamped so they could make money. And we always kept that up. And even today, we would be one of the top preschools, the 10 top preschools in this area, if not in the so state. So it takes that question out of, out of people's minds. And yes. We didn't want people thinking that you know, it would be poorly run or whatever because we were preschool. We had a lot of problems, mind you. We had there were times when we had to, um, let's say, move staff on because yep. they didn't come up to our standards. But that comes up in any workplace, exactly. doesn't it? And um, but that that's how. And we we have a staff there today is second to none. I might tell you that they are brilliant. So does that um, add another level of complexity to being on on the Bull Eye Committee that? you guys have got you know it's i think people tend to forget as well that you know any organization that 
a volunteer or community organisation that looks after people, whether it be junior or senior sports people, um, men, women, boys or girls, it's a responsibility. You've got a duty of care, but you've got this other business. So obviously um, we, you guys have got people that, A, have the, uh, I guess, knowledge and experience in, in various forms, but take it seriously then. We have... Because it'd be easy to cut corners, wouldn't it? Yeah, we have um, progressed from Bulleye Football Club to Bulleye Football Club Limited. Yep. Right, we have um, a board of directors, so we are legal. Yep. We have on that board of directors sections responsible for each part of the club. There's a section responsible for the preschool, completely separate, they run the preschool. Football, they run the football. Grounds and facilities, they run the grounds and the facilities. And um, and that's how our club is run. Um, completely legal and and we've been so fortunate in having some smart people. Yep. Um, Richard McNeil, clever lad. Um, and Michael Grew, um, names I could keep mentioning, um, really smart people on our board or to give us advice and I think that's another thing that's that's helped our club along you've got to have good people so um, I would be the most poorly educated man on Bulleye Football Club truly well I guess as as a community and as a group or as a committee um, because it's just not like you said before and and I know it myself it's um, people like Edith and you know, our partners and that, the support, whether it be at the ground physically or emotionally or at home, you know, you've got a group of people that that has allowed you to be, you know, put the time in. So that's that's an effort in itself, isn't it? Yes. <coughs> I could go there. My greatest support is my wife. I'd have to say that. She has been and a brick. And too. She's she brilliant. has been a brick. The great thing about it is... She didn't just let me go off and help Bulleye Football Club. She joined in, and yeah, for many years, and for many years, she has, you know, um, been Mrs. Bulleye. You know, and um, I couldn't have done it without her. Or if she was in opposition, she would say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and 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 at times, I have to admit, we've got two boys, right? Yeah. And at times, I know now. I think I, I go back and think about it. That I probably didn't spend enough time with my boys. I put more time in the Borough Football Club than I did with my boys. Oh, okay. We they played football, but they weren't very good, and they they didn't push it that far. They went their own ways eventually. Yeah. But I know now that I maybe should have spent more time family than I did with Borough Football Club. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, it's a sad reflection sometimes. It, yeah, no, I have it myself. I've been at Balgowny now for for at least uh, 25 years as a player and committee person. So, um, yeah, you do. I have those uh, feelings and thoughts at times as well. So with, um, I don't want to get too much on the negative, but um, the two things that I wanted to ask, that um, when you're in, um, you know, you work hard to get yourself into a good position, and you have always been strong. Um, I do remember a sort of article that I did see um, there, may have been in the mid-90s to latter 90s, where there was a picture with uh, Mr. Grew and a couple of other of you guys um, 
where the article was that you were potentially contemplating state league. Was that an, was that ever a serious thought? We were, you know, I think after, I think, I, I tell you what caused that was the fact we had a, a massive complex there, right? A good complex, and people were saying, well, hold on, what are they going to do now? Because at that stage, there was no other complex as good as that. Yeah. And so, and the Mercury were having a beat up, I'm yep. sure. And, and I know they came out there one day, and and Michael Grew was a spoke from that yeah. the other day, yes. And uh, and he said no. I just wanted to ask if it was ever ever serious. It was never ever contemplated. No. And and still not contemplated. No, no. Because as you... far as I know, I'm not on the board anymore. But I'm saying no. We. Because you we... get to dip your toe in the water, so to speak, with the FFA Cup these days, which yourself and Tarawana and Wollongong United and the likes have have uh, have played in, which is. A good demonstration of the strength of uh, Illawarra football, isn't it? We, the, as I said, I'm not on the board anymore, but I know their policies now. Yep. You know, and the policies of the club are: we are now a community club. Um, for instance, we donate money to Bulloy Juniors. Yep. We donate money to charities. Uh, quite recently in the farmers we donated a gate plus a special night for the farmers. The drought relief. For the drought relief. That was another three and a half thousand dollars. We employ eight people in our preschool. We um, probably in contact with about 150 families because of that preschool. Yeah. Um, and um, the trend now is, is for the club to be a community-based club. We are a football club, first yes. and foremost. But we want to be part of the community. And, um, and I think that's what, what the, the direction that the club wants to, wants to go in. Yep. Well, we talk about the 90s there. There was uh, the 98 floods, and, and that's where we first got into contact, where, um, yeah. you know, it was... Uh, Horrible in terms of, you know, uh, the loss of life and the destruction and whatnot, and and the havoc that it caused. But um, you know, this is a footballing podcast, so we won't um, we'll put aside the the serious effects. But but it did have an effect on on the ground itself. You talked about it being a bowl, and and that sort of yes brought it to everyone's attention in in that well the first those rains didn't it? the first part of that was that the, the housing estate. Or the, the, no, the shopping centre had been changed to a housing estate, yep. and and all the infrastructure had been ripped down. And this was early in eighty. I'm not sure of the date, but this was at an, an early stage, and we'd only just finished building, and we had a, a bit of a downpour, a bit of a downpour, and it just flooded down the road, flooded through all the. All where they all where they ripped and getting ready to build yep. onto our ground. We had gravel and dirt and all floods the all over. And this was this was before the major floods. Plus. Yeah. So we cleaned that up and that actually in actual fact happened um for about twice in a month. Okay. And we had to um, clean it all up before we could play again. And then when the big deluge came that was just out of this world. 
I mean, the water went to the top of the ceilings down below in the in the bottom part of yep. the club. But it was just overnight and then gone. Um, but you've seen the photographs of, yeah, it was of the ground. Just um, horrendous, but just the height of the water was just... But couldn't believe it. But you see, we talk about community. On the day or the day after, and I think that was on the 19th of August, people came down people who and, and, and people we'd never seen before and helped us clean start to clean the paths and they, yeah, and, and the they, rooms they and came yeah people came from everywhere that day people I've never seen again since community tremendous when you think about it when when one thing about this place when you're in trouble people will help and um, and they did that day I mean the dirt was in places 18 inches and the rubbish all over the ground yeah. And I called the insur our insurance company, and um, they said, "Yes, well, okay, well, get somebody to do it. You know, get me a couple of quotes." And um, but that in itself, cleaning that ground off, fifty thousand. Wow. And um, okay, we didn't pay it all, but um, we had we it cost us a lot of money. But um, the council did take all the all the surplus stuff off the ground. That was the only thing they did for us. On a Monday, a Tuesday or a Thursday, is it true that you're the barbecue man? And that, um, you know, you talk about this family club and and then isn't that sort of just one little strand that makes up what the club's about, you know, to, you know, that's what I like about soccer or football, that we all get together and and um, meet people that we wouldn't normally meet. And, and is that how long you've been doing it for? And and it's just a good social get-together after training? It started, I think, about... First of all, I've always been involved in, in the food part of what I've... Yep. I've bought food and helped with the canteens and set up. and So that really has been possibly my part of... of other than the treasurer yep. um, of the club. And um, about... Ten years ago, I suppose it would be, um, the idea came up that, you know, how about you put something on after training, Roy, one night. And I th I'm not sure the coach was um, before Benny Smith. Flash. Not Flash. Um, Adrian. Okay. And so those days, yes, they were they were doing a bit of training up the ground on, on a Thursday night. And... Um, so I said, okay, I'll see what we can do. And I did it a few times, you know, and they thought that was good. And then Benny Smith became coach, which is about uh, five, six years ago. Uh, it was it was very much before that, it was very much a, an on-off type thing, you know. Infrequent. And, and the big problem, once again, was I never knew how many I was going to do something for. And it was not just a barbecue, by the way. It was not just a few sausages. I used to cook a meal, you know. <laughs> and... Um, and a couple of years ago I expanded the kitchen out the back I tiled all the floors and made a proper kitchen out the back and a second kitchen yep. which was much bigger and um, bought a cooker bought oh cooker. bought new cookers and stainless steel tops I did the lot so I would say from Benny Smith's time I was cooking for first grade and reserve grade of coaching up there um, which was fine because they used to come in about 8 o'clock and I'd I, not just on my own. I've got yep. a couple, I cook on my own, but I've got blokes Hans Van Eed, Stephen yep. Davis, um, um, Lenny Bain, 
and Bobby Sargeson, they would all serve and take the money. We used to charge $5 at first, okay. we charge 6 now. And they'd get a beer, or a soft drink, and a meal. And um, that slowly grew. Um, and sometimes I'd do up to 25. And then Michael grew, took over, last year took over the youth grade side. Yep. He said, Roy, why we left that? And <laughs> um, I said, well, you know, I said, he said, look, we'd like to do it as well. He said, but um, he said, we finished training at 6.30. So it's become a much bigger job now. Um, I was doing meals for about 15 to 20 at 6.30, right? And then first grade at 8 to 8.30. So it, Thursday night, well, it's, it's, it's occupied my, my time this last five, five years, yeah. Yeah, really seriously. Wednesday at getting all the stuff ready, yeah. Thursday cooking, in the morning cooking, coming out five minutes sleep in the afternoon and go back cooking at, at night. I've really enjoyed it. Unfortunately, my knees are going to let me down a bit shortly. You know, I know that now. So there's a lot of hard work there in, well, I'll call it Roy's Restaurant, but... but it's called a three-cup restaurant, actually, <laughs> and they're all bull-eye cups. There's a photograph there. But <laughs> what I like about that aspect, and, and, and we've spoken about it before with yourself mm. and Edith and other couples when you were going around to dog shows and, and whatnot, that, you know, the, the other names that you mentioned there where you're involved with other people that have been involved with the club previously, that they come back and help. And, and that seems to be, in our discussion today, a real theme of, yeah. of bull-eye. Yeah. We have a very a fair amount of life members in our club. I think it runs in about 20-odd at the moment. Um, and all the fellas... Uh, another, another part of, I think you should realise is how much work is done in that club. Mondays, Tuesdays, Thursdays, Fridays and Saturdays. The same five or six people are up there every morning, um, especially when the season's on, yep. in the off-season. Um, they're cutting grass, they're cleaning the rooms, they're cleaning the dressing sheds, um, and, and we, they get there about 8 o'clock and they do what's necessary, empty the bins, the lot. And, and who are some of these people? So we can Stephen Davis, publicly thank them. Stephen Davis... Hans Van E, Bobby Sargeson, myself not so much doing cleaning these days, I do the rooms. Um, Liz, Len. Lenny Bain. Lenny Bain. Um, They're all players. Oh, oh, like, all players. Klaus. Yeah, Klaus. Simovic. Yep. Um, all old Bulloy people and all old life members have been there. And it's, it's, it's really got to the stage now, it's like a men's shed. Yep. Right? Um, and it's great it, it really is and, and they usually finish the way at 10, 10.30 and we'll sit down and have a cup of coffee and a biscuit have and, a chat. And, and we have this table in the middle which is called the table of knowledge <laughs> where we go through the games and we criticise people and we, <laughs> and we club, pull people to pieces but that's what it's all about that's Mondays, Tuesdays and Thursdays in the summer and so if we had to, um, it's hard because, like you said, you've been there since 64, but um, yeah, there's some moments where you just think, you know, um, well, firstly, before we get into about great moments, I'd like to congratulate yourself, um, Edith, and the rest of the committee and the coaches and players on a wonderful season in all grades. 
um, not just for the accolades, but for many reasons. So, um, what about this year? How, how special was it to to Bulleye? I think, and I put a piece on Facebook, Chucky, about that, just personal. And uh, I've been with the club a long time. Was basically I'm saying roughly what I put up there, uh, and been proud many times. But this year was just out of this world. We have never done so well. And I don't know if you've seen the reports of, of what we did at the presentation. No, it was only when you, I didn't go um, last week. But Well, even I mean, last year we got Coach of the Year and Yuya, the goalkeeper, got Goalkeeper of the Year. Right, we won Club of the Year. This year we've done that again, all three. Our under-21 player... Um, under 23 player got player of the year and a, a youth grade player got player of the year We the only thing we haven't won this year was was the best player of the year the George Naylor medal yep. and we've basically won everything else I mean you can't you don't you can't repeat years like that that's absolutely tremendous you know it's just out of this world well like you said it sort of goes back to that late 60s when you were first couple of first few years on where Six, it was 69 was the only comparable year yep. as far as I'm concerned and then and I could and I'll tell you the coach that year it's funny how you got to get good was would you remember um McGarry yes was the coach he used to play on uh, Newcastle United Ron McGarry yeah. Ron McGarry what a character oh a real character because he, he played um obviously at uh, Balgiani, um played and coached, and I think it's yeah. South Coast United as well, and yeah. Newcastle United. Well, oh, they, they played him. there, you yes, know. Yes. They love him. Yes. So he was the coach in. He was the coach in '69. Yeah, yeah. Ron McGarry, what a character. Great, great years. Oh, great years. Funny man. There's, I guess, um, is there anything that you can think of apart from you know that '69, and you know what do you see as yourself and Edith as, as the you know you always. If you've been involved in the club over 50 years, you obviously enjoy the social aspect to it, the community involvement, but um, is, is there something where you go, yeah, that was, that was special or, or, or something that really comes to mind? I'll let you take it with you from Borrow. Yes, five years ago. Five years ago, and uh, Roy's just handed me a, a, a beautifully uh, presented booklet with "This Is Your Life" and and his picture on the front. Um, so yeah, speak to it, Roy. How was this complete, uh, presented? A complete shock to me. This was because um, it was the last game of the season, and um, we we're all going up the club to do. And, and we are all going to sit in the room and I didn't have any idea what was going on I didn't know anything about this and um, so many people people I'd not seen a long, for a long time were turning up you know for a beer and what not um, and even people said oh I'm not going to that club again turned up and I'm, I'm thinking what's going on here and Edith and I were sat down in the front you know I don't know we were always there first anyway you know and then there was a big screen up there and and Johnny Vandervoort, a big club stalwart, stepped forward and turned the lights and said, Roy, this is your life. And didn't they send me up? I mean, 
tremendous. It was, I don't, yeah, I was so close to tears because um, there's an awful lot of, actually there's a better one on the other side, tells you more, but um, for the club to honour me like that, I mean they've honoured me before, yeah. I mean uh, I mean to stand for a start off, that was another shock. We'd been away to Europe, we'd come back and um, and I came back to the ground and there was a game on the end, they got, the stand was built and they got a piece of sacking cloth over the top so, and I, as soon as I got home I was up the ground you see and yeah. I said what's that Roy what are you doing up here go home go home go <laughs> home you know and they had this all set up for me for opening the, opening the grandstand as well the club has done done me proud quite honestly you know? so those moments uh, yeah mean a lot and yourself Edith uh, oh yeah it's come along and it's been you know I've you know been with Roy and it yeah we've met so many really great people great people Ron McGarry you know they and the coaches their wives so many of them their children and the long life friendships that you it's just built so it's just built up and built up you know and people are still there in our lives you know and it's wonderful when we started so long ago these people are still here still there and yeah. So really, uh, a bit of fitness, uh, jogging around the street, and then yeah. Charlie Stewart, yes. a former Socceroo and changed you know, legend life. in the game, yes. just that moment. Changed my life, really, yes. Yeah. Oh, made made a massive difference to it, you know, I mean, um, yeah. Without uh, getting into personal reasons, um, was it more economic that you came out from, from England? Um, no, well, in the first... Well, in the first place, um, in the first place, I, I was I was in in the Royal Air Force, right, and okay. as a cook, that's what I cook, right. <laughs> and um, I'd been to Egypt and I'd been to South Africa and in, in for a couple of years. So the warmer climate to me was was great. You come home to Britain, right, back to Britain after I'd finished the service, cold, wet, working in the building trade, cold and wet. Uh, I also then at that stage had a brother out here. He'd come out here directly after the war. Um, and then my youngest brother also came out, Paul, the one I'm talking yep. about. He was only 15 when he came out. Um, and uh, I've always had a bit of a wanderlust in mine, you know. And now I got married to Edith, and um, I said, well, before I got married to Edith, actually, I said, I'm going to Australia. I'd filled all the forms in and whatnot. And she, she said, well, you can forget me, I'm not going. <laughs> Didn't you? Yes. Did you forget me? So I thought about this. <laughs> Australia or Edith. Australia or Edith. So I gave Australia away. Yep. And Good, um, good choice. Yes. And we got married. Um, bought a house, moved into town, had a couple of kids. But all the time... This was there in my mind, and I kept plugging away at her, plugging away, plugging away. And eventually she said... She relented? She said, I'll go for three months. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I said, well, look, if you don't like it, in two years we'll come back. Anyway, we're still here. Could you ever, both of you, envisage that, um, whether it be just three months, even though you probably thought... I'll try and stay longer, but could you ever envisage the, um, I guess, the impact that you've 
that you've made in a community where you know you come you come from another country and and um, I guess in the last it's nearly every decade that we have in the news about you know negative stories but there's there's a lot more positive stories out there and, oh, and this is one of them is it could you ever envisage that both of you have had such an impact on no say way. a historic institution such as no. Bulleye Football Club and as well as that the interaction that you've had in the community my one of my first um, I used to follow my other brother in England every Saturday he used to play football uh, and I used to follow him a little bit you know get on, on the bus and go to various planes but I never played I was never yeah. any good I was a cyclist actually I used to cycle in England okay um, and um I used to go watch this ground. Stratford Town was the name of the was the name of the club that he played for. And I see people doing things there, you know, like in the canteen and running, selling tickets. And I thought to myself, I would love to be involved. I would love to be involved in the club. But I was a bit of a shy boy those days, yeah. and I would never have had the courage to go up and say, "Can I help you?" So, to me, really, at the back of my mind, what I've done here and what we have done here has fulfilled probably that dream a little bit you know Um, that I've been involved in something you know Um, more than involved both of you give me a great deal of pleasure in life you know yeah I shed a few tears too in this club I might tell you you know yeah well you know like we've gone through just some of the things but there's been a a lot of a lot of hard work a lot of lows not just just the highs we've just touched the edges yeah that's right yeah so I guess um, this is probably a, a good note to finish this one on. We might even do a second interview. But obviously uh, I greatly appreciate and respect both of you for letting me into your home and, and uh, letting yeah, me speak to you and, and speak about, you know, a great club and, and a great bunch of bunch of people. And, and obviously we should thank the great Charlie Stewart for, for <laughs> starting should. this journey as well. Well, old child has passed away now. Yeah, but, you know. yeah, yeah, but he's a great man. He was, yeah. yes. I met him a couple of times, but yeah. Yeah. So thank you both and and, um, appreciate it. Good.